open up your Bibles to the Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and we will be picking back up here and reading through and covering the verses we did not have an opportunity last week. We took the first five verses, and we'll finish up starting with verse 6 today. Um, if you remember, and in our discussions and previously, Paul completes his letter here to the Thessalonican believers there, um, and he wrote two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, and, and these letters that he was addressing uh, all about the, the return of the Lord for his bride, for, for, uh, uh, for the church. And much confusion and much, uh, the enemy is really sowing in all kinds of doubts and under, misunderstandings and taking Paul out of context and squeezing it and turning it and shifting it however they wanted to see it. And it was causing some, certainly some problems and he's had to write a letter uh, the first letter, and then we'll find today he's, we're finishing up this second letter. And in this second letter here in chapter 3, if you remember, if you were with us, if not, go back. And I certainly encourage you to, to listen to the first five verses of chapter 3, because this chapter was broken into two parts. The first part was the Word of God, or the truth, verses 1 through 5. And today we're going to take the remaining 6 through 18, and it's on church discipline. Because Paul needed to instruct the believers there in Thessalonica how to deal with the division and the issues going on within the church and how to do that biblically a God's way. Because there is a God's way to discipline within the church uh, and there's man's way and man's way always gets involved, it screws things up. So, so we saw how important it was to what Paul was trying to end his letter begin. Most people, when they end the letter, they're really wanting to make sure they get those last key points uh, out to the readers of that letter. In this case, he wanted to make sure they understand the truth, the Word of God, and how important it is to follow the Word of God as they continue as a fellowship, but also to deal with things that were causing problems within the fellowship, going against the truth of God. And we might had to deal with that in a disciplinary way, in this case, church discipline and they had to follow through with what Paul was saying because we'll find that he uses a very strong word called command. I command you. This is not a suggestion. This is not a think about it, pray about it, let me know kind of moment. This was a thing that Paul was saying, no, this is a commandment you must do uh, as the authority God had given him uh, with that church. But we'll see here that uh, as we take a look at this, and Paul gives a command on how to deal with this disorderly believers within the, uh, within the church there, church problems are like a physical problem. Um, it's, uh, you know, if you have a physical problem and you know you have something going on in your body and you ignore it and you continue to ignore the problem, it doesn't go away. Uh, it, it will continue to grow and become worse, and they then affects not only the body, it could affect even other people uh, around you. And in the local church is, in, in, is seen, and is in the scripture, as a body of believers. And so you can take that same concept, the local church is a body, and if the germs are not taken care of in that physical body, and sin is like a physical body. The, the germs are like a physical body causing some problem. Sin is the, to the spiritual body. So as you're dealing with your physical body with germs and their issues, you need to deal with it. 
And if the spiritual in the church, uh, spiritual perspective in the church, if there is sin within the church, it has to be dealt with. You cannot not deal with it. If you do, it will spread. It will affect others within the church, and it must be dealt with swiftly and quickly. And when Paul wrote the first letter to the Thessalonian church, he warned of these lazy busybodies uh, to get back to work. And you go back and you'll see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. And what happens is when you have idle hands, people have a tendency to uh, can sway to a, a position of, of some sin creeping in. In this case, this laziness that was coming across the people, but even worse, busybodies. They were getting into other people's business and doing all kinds of things that were causing some divisions within, within the body. And he admonished them back there in 1 Thessalonians, that first letter there in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. He said, and he warned those people, even the church leaders, he warned those church leaders, you must warn them. You must deal with these unruly people that are happening within the church body. You must deal with it. You cannot just let it just sweep it under the rug and not deal with it because the word unruly here in the language means like a soldier out of rank. They're out of order. They're, they're going against the leader uh, of that church. They're going against the, God's word in that church. They're living a life that is like the world and not like of what God is pleasing of God. And so they, the leaders must deal with that. And apparently these troublemakers did not repent from that first letter that he wrote. They did not change their behavior. Their attitude still stunk. And they still wanted to do and wanted the way things, the way they wanted them. It wasn't going their way. So so they're not going their way. I'm going to have an attitude, and I'm going to continue with this attitude. And that sin continued to spread. So now Paul is having to write this second letter to address them once again of these unruly, disorderly kinds of behaviors that were happening within the church. And that he writes this church to strengthen the leaders and strengthen those within the body of Christ there, to strengthen them and to purify the church by appropriately doing the church discipline of those individuals. So what was the problem that they were dealing with? If you remember, some of the church attendees of the assembly there at that church had misinterpreted Paul's teaching about the return of Christ. They were changing the what... Paul had taught them that the Lord had given him and they had taken this position and says, well, if the Lord's coming back, hey, great excuse. I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to just sit back and just wait, enjoy life, and I'll let the people in the church to take care of me. I'll just kind of freeload off the church and they're going to have to take care of me because it's biblical, right? And so they're going to get lazy and not do what God's called them to do in the scripture. We'll talk about that more here in a minute. And they were going to sit back and just let others who were working hard and, and, and raising a family and taking care and then turn around and have the church provide the free stuff to me and let them do this for me and take care of me. And I can just sit back and wait for the return of the Lord because he's coming back uh, any moment. And so they had to take this because they were living off that generosity of the church and these lazy saints expected the church to support them. And there's always a problem. There's always a problem when someone takes and misinterprets the, the word of God and changes it or misapplies the truth to the life to fit what they want to do. I'll take this one little verse out of context and apply it to my situation and say the, the word of God says so. No, it's out of context. You can't apply that scripture into this situation. 
That applies to just to non-believers, or that scripture applies just to believers that is written. Whatever the situation may be, but anytime you misinterpret or misapply the truths of God's word, you're going to cause endless trouble within that body of believers. You're going to have this, this, and we have lots of history. If you're out there and you're reading the scriptures, you read different biographies on godly people and situations and churches and all kinds of things, you can see history records the foolishness of people out there regards to the return of the Lord setting dates on I know when the date and time the Lord's coming back. <laughs> so that's just that's a false teacher. You don't even go near that person, as we will see in the scriptures. I'll give you the scriptures to go by. You don't even associate with the people like that. Or they sit there and they 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 sell their possessions and say, I'm just gonna sell everything there and just live it off the life and just travel the world waiting for the Lord to come back. And I remember in the early days getting saved, and I remember this gentleman very distinctly back in California. And I remember him saying he was just up in arms because he said, I thought for sure the Lord was returning. I knew this was going to be the year. And it just everything was coming to a head in 2000, right? Remember that? The whole thing of 2000 and hitting 2000 and then all oh, this just got into the world. Sold everything and then found out the Lord didn't return like he said he was going to return. And he had sold his houses. Every, now he couldn't get, get a house anymore. The market went up. He was just, he was hurting because he misinterpreted. He misapplied. He just took it upon himself and added to the word of God and said he knew what the date or the year or the month would be. And it's just false teaching when you get down there and it's going to cause problems. So now he, and back even back in those days, now the church should take care of me. That's what he would say. You should take care of me. You guys all have jobs. I left my job, left my house, left everything, and now you, I don't have anything. You need to help me. <laughs> it's like, I was, as a new believer, I'm like, what is this man talking about? You know, it didn't even make sense to me because I didn't understand the scripture. I was very new in, this, in, the, in the, uh, being a believer. But that, a reminder, any teaching that encourages us to disobey any other divine truth in the scriptures, the divine teaching is not biblical teaching. So if you're listening and heaping up, if you find yourself today heaping up uh, many teachers out there on the internet and you hear something that goes against the word of God, that is not godly biblical teaching. You should not be listening to that person. And you have to take responsibility because it's between you and the Lord. You have to work. You're between you and the Lord. It's going to have to deal with that issue. That's why stick to the word. Test all things that you hear. Go back and read and study. Make sure the scriptures that are given and are in line in context of what is being given so that you are not being swayed around. Because Paul expected the whole church to work together as a church body to solve the problem that's in the body. You must deal with it. The church is, is to love and must deal with its own church family. If you have a problem in your family, you need to deal with it biblically. If you can't handle it, you don't know how, then find someone as a pastor or an elder to come and give you scriptures to help you biblically to understand what you're to do within your church or within your family. You don't sit there and just put them out into some worldly knowledge and some worldly system to deal with the problems within the family. God can handle it. And God's people in the church. That's why you fellowship. 
Because as you fellowship, God can use each other to help you through these situations you find yourself in life. But too easy today to sit back and to completely, easily to say, I avoid the fellowship. And, you, I know, and I understand this. Don't get me wrong. I understand there's a lot of reasons why you can justify because you've been hurt in other fellowships. Obviously not this fellowship. Of course not. Everything's perfect in this fellowship. But I'm talking about other fellowships and other situations. I understand that you can do that and it can, the enemy can use it to help you justify not to fellowship anymore. You come in at the last minute or first minute and you skip right out really quick and you completely avoid any interaction with it. That is not, not biblical. It's a family. Can you imagine if your teenager shows up for dinner, eats the food, and leaves and never says anything? Hello? And you think you're going to have a good family unity? I guarantee you, you do not. And then you wonder why. I didn't know my kids were out there doing those things. And Parents, hello, wake up. The influences of this world are tremendous. They have access. Your, your, as adults or as children have access to things that are causing problems. It happens within the church body. Paul is obviously having to deal with this through this letter. There are influences coming in and affecting the body there in Thessalonica. And that's why he had to deal with these things. So we see here in verse 6. He's going to bring about an exhortation of the word here, and he's going to command them to withdraw and make a decision here as leaders and as a body of believers. He says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which we receive from us. So this word here, command, is a very direct, it's not, it's, it's not ambiguous. It is absolutely clear as can be that this is something they have to do. This is not something they get to decide possibly not to do. They must do this. And we see here Paul uses the same word back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think two, verses 2 and 11. We see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 here, not only in 4, but also in 10. It means to keep a military order given by a superior officer. The superior officer gave a commandment. Go do this, and it's not negotiable. So Paul is in a position of authority. He's the head of the church, and he's saying as the leader, this is not negotiable. You must do this in this situation. And so the question is, is what authority does Paul use to be able to give this kind of commandment within a body of believers? As a head pastor, how does he have that authority? And we see it right here. He had the authority in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who gives him the authority. Because Christ is over the church and he appoints person to lead as a shepherd of that flock. And he, and again, you go back to notice here, he says in the name of, not in the name of just Jesus, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus is his human name. It's given to him in Matthew 1.21. It means savior. Christ is his divine title. The Messiah, the anointed one, that's his title. And Lord is Jehovah God. 
In the Hebrew, it's Y-H-W-H. It's the holiest name of God in the Hebrew language. So it's Lord. It's master of the fact that he is the Messiah and he's the Savior. That's why you see all three names together as one name giving completeness. And after his resurrection, he is referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ. Very rare do you see just Jesus' name only after the resurrection. Because now he's Lord. He's over the church. He is over the body. He is over everything. And even in this situation, he is the son of God, the head over all things to the church. He's exalted. That means he is lordship. He has all power to determine what he does for you in regards to your work and your money management. Hello? He has lordship over the work and the money management within that house of yours, your life. If he's your Lord, if he's your Savior, if he's the Messiah and the anointed one, which we know he is. The question is, do we live our life in regards to how we work and how we spend his money that he gives you? Does it go in line with his scripture? Well, we find here as we continue, he, we find that these people were not following in line with what the scripture and what the Bible teaches about manual labor or some people say, well, I don't do manual labor. I've got a, I'm a white collared kind of guy. Well, that's called mental labor, okay? So you can call it manual labor or you can call it mental labor, but it is the same thing. In fact, that God has called you to do something. It's called labor. And we have to remember that labor was a part of man's life before sin entered the scene. Remember, it was before he entered the scene, before sin, that God called Adam to what? Labor, to work the garden, to keep it, to guard it, to take care of it for him. That's what he was called to do. And that's before, before that. And you can go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then sin turned labor into almost this hopeless toil in our life. It was supposed. It was good. He's energized. He's giving you the abilities, the gifts to do what God called Adam to do. And then sin entered, and now what should be good and fulfilling and right is now gone turned upside down. It's a toil. It's a drudgery, and it's the sweat of your brow. Why? Because sin entered in. And you can go back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. It must never be thought of as, as a necessity of work is because of sin. No, we were to work before sin even happened. Man needs to work for the fulfillment of his person. God's called a person to work. God created him to work. And anyone who thinks, I'm going to retire, I hear it all the time. You know, it's always one of those goals. I'm going to retire. Well, what does that really mean? Because scripturally, I don't see it. Show me somewhere in the scripture that shows you you retire because you're not supposed to retire. You're supposed to work until God takes you home. You may have to change what you do. When you're young, you can do really very physical labor. Then you might have to go to mental labor because you can't physically do it when you're 70 or 80 or 90 or 100, but you're still supposed to work. Even if it means that you're at 100, you're out there doing your little garden just to make, get some food and make sure you're taking care of your family. You're to work. You're not to be sitting around doing nothing. Paul recognized the fact that some people could not work, by the way. Perhaps because they have physical limitations. They physically can't because 
They're paralyzed, okay? They can't do it. Or they have some family responsibilities that doesn't allow them to go outside to work. They, all their work is within the household, managing the house and taking care and doing the things that are going within it. So don't get all squirrely on me in your head and say, well, you know, I'm working inside the house, not outside. I understand that. Paul even understands that because in verse 10, when we get to that, he says, if anyone will not work, which means it's not about the ability that he's talking about here. He's talking about people who are not willing to work. They're not willing to work. That's the sin. I don't need to work. Someone, the government will take care of me. The church will take care of me. My family's going to take care of me. I know that I'm 50 and I'm sitting in my 90-year-old parents' house and living in the basement, and they're going to take care of me. That is not right thinking. If you have the ability to work, you're to work. Not. So it's a willingness issue. It's a heart issue. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. And he says it really quickly. He says, how do you deal with someone who is not willing to work, but mooch off the church? He says, withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. Those who are not willing to walk according to the tradition, which means the biblical pattern, the biblical teaching and biblical lifestyle, Paul and the apostles gave them when they taught them, they are to withdraw from them in that, that fellowship because it's causing problems. Churches should never withdraw from someone because he, he or she fails to conform to their some man-made traditions because a lot of churches today, if you do some kind of tradition and expectation within a church long enough, then it becomes a tradition and they make that tradition, that man's tradition, equal to the scripture. And that's wrong. That should never happen in a body. What he's, Paul's talking about here is the apostolic tradition, which is the teaching of the word of God. That's what the tradition he's talking about here. Not something man or woman came up with to try to keep people in order. No, the scripture is what he's talking about because they've chosen not to go against what the scripture says. That present tense verb walks indicates not sometimes falling down and making mistakes here. It's talking about a deliberate, disorderable conduct that talks about a persistent practice of not working. A sluggard. He's not willing or she's not willing to do what it takes that God's asked him to do to, do, to, to provide for the family and to provide for others. They're looking for everyone else to do it for them. And this person or these people were causing certainly some challenges. And it wasn't a question about the ability. It was a, a question about the willingness on the part of this disorderly individuals. And they're to what? Withdraw from every brother. Paul had already told the Thessalonians to warn the unruly back there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And so apparently, the problem is still remaining within the body. This is somehow, they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on, but this discipline was not effective in that first letter. The leaders didn't address the issue. And so what happened is they become continue to be unruly ones in the question here. Now, what's the purpose of withdrawing from these unruly, disorderly type people in the church. The purpose is to what? Not to punish them. That is not the motive. 
You don't look to punish someone in the, in the, in the family just for the sake of punishment. No, they, you're more simply to try to deny these disobedient ones the aid and the comfort of the fellowship of the body of Christ that is supposed to be providing for the people. When you come to fellowship, you should feel this comfort, this love, and this support, and, and, and everything there that a family should be supporting. When your child becomes disobedient in your, in your house, do you not as a parent, if you don't discipline, what you're going to have? More disobedience. More unruly. More rebellious heart. More separation, but still trying to mooch off what's going on within the household. But when you as a parent and you're doing it biblically, you will appropriately discipline for the unruliness that they find themselves in and say, no, you're no longer going to be able to do this. Give me your phone. Cut the internet from you. No, you can't play with those toys. No, you're not, if you can't sit here at the this, this, this table and have a meal with us and, and, and have a, a halfway decent attitude, then you're not going to eat today. You have to miss, miss, miss this meal. When you're ready to come back to the meal and be you know, loving and around the, the table, then you'll have a meal. I mean, whatever it is that the Lord leads you, make sure you follow through with the discipline. It's the same thing within the church. He's saying there going, you must take these disobedient ones and you're just basically pulling back from the aid, the comfort of the fellowship of the body of Christ until they repent that they recognize they are causing problems within the church. You're just bringing back. To put them out of the church into the, what the scripture refers to as the domain of the Satan or the word or the world, I should say, and hope that they might miss the fellowship of the church and say, I really think this is really not good. I, I, things have gone crazy since I've left the church. I, we really need to go back to church. That's what you're hoping. That's what God says he wants to do is so that you desire the things. And that's why the church should be so loving, so supportive, so comforting, so there. If you're involved in the fellowship and you're communicating with people, I assure you God is going to use people in your lives during your, your very low times. And they're going to use you and, and, and other people's lives in their very low times. You're going to be there for them. And so that's what Paul is saying here, because Paul echoes the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It's to bring repentance and even salvation to the disorderly people who are causing division within the body. And they're not looking to condemn them. They're not looking to damn them. They're, not, they're looking to bring them closer to Christ and to follow God's word according to his word. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11 says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexual immoral people of this world or with covetous or extortioners or adulterers. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. I didn't put you out there so you can fellowship with them. I'm telling you, that's not what you want to be like. That's what you want to stay away from you got to get away from all of that stuff that's bringing you down. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral and covetous and adulterer and reveler or a drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. I mean, that's hard in, this, in today's world. Because back then you had one church, right? 
You had a church. You didn't have 15 churches you want to go pick. So if you don't like it here, you just, oh, I'll go pick one of the other 14 until I can get whatever out of there and I'll go hop over to another church and see what I can get out of them. How many times we get calls from people who are not even from this community calling just to find some church who they can get to send them money. They call the wrong church when they call here. <laughs> we ask lots of questions. And come quickly, good, click, you know. You quickly find out you're just not going to call around to a church just to see who can give up money for you. So Paul's saying here, with a, a very clear vision for the church there in Thessalonica and for us today, that the, church, the vision of the church should be so much a place of love and comfort and just this genuineness of family and closeness because you're choosing to plug in. You won't feel that love. You won't feel that comfort. You won't feel the genuineness if you don't plug in. <laughs> It just, it just understand that, right? So for those of you who are just thinking that, let me reassure you in a loving way, you got to plug in. We gotta get, we, you have to know us. We need to get to know you. you just, that's how you know people. The fact that God's love will just pour out upon you and the comfort and the genuineness of it because you are part of not just peripheral. But it's generally, it should bring a genuine sadness, a genuine just sorrowfulness and repentive heart of being not being be part of a church because you're you've chosen to live in your sinful ways versus to be willing to change biblically and participate in the church and how important it is for churches today to stand for the truth and not allow just open rebellious sin to dwell within people to live to come in within a church and it's causing a lot of problems within the church. Verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. But worked with labor and toil night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have authority. But to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. So we see these verses 7 through 9. He says, he says, I, I, we're an example. We live this example that I'm telling you that you need to live. I'm sitting there telling you that we didn't live disorderly among you. We didn't show up into this, your community, start a church in this community, and then turn around and look to see what we could get from this church body in this community because I needed a job. So I'm going to go and start a church, get a bunch of people in, collect their tithes so I can have a job. That is not, Paul saying, we didn't do that. We didn't do that at all. We did not sit there and demand to you to give up your money to take care of us so we could have a lifestyle as a pastor. He says, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. We didn't show up and say, you know, I'm, we're the pastors that we just started this church, so you have to give up some meals for us and keep us fed. And we like yours on Monday and a meal from Tuesday. And I really like your Saturday night little pizza special, so that's the night I want you to give them food. No, that's not how the pastors are supposed to be doing this. And Paul says, we're examples here. We're not getting anything from you. Not that the, we couldn't. 
We have the authority scripturally to know that if I'm teaching you to give, that, that part of that money will come to support me as, a, as the teacher or as a pastor of this church. Paul says, no, 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 no. I didn't do it. Matter of fact, all of us are working with labor, toiling, toiling night and day so that we would not be a burden to you. We wanted no one to cause any problems or let the enemy get involved saying that all you're doing here is taking money to have a lifestyle for yourself as a pastor. No, no. Paul says, me and, and Timothy, and we, we are working day and night Provide for ourselves so that there's no using of any of your resources. None of your bread has to be given to us. See, Paul says, we're an example of what we're talking about as we're trying to teach you the scriptures, to teach you the truth. We're actually living this truth so you can obviously see it. Let me remind you of that in this letter. Because he wanted to be a good example to the young believers in this young church that just started up. That these young believers need to know that you're going to work hard and prove that there's any false accusation out there against Paul and them that would cause any problems being able to get the gospel to be preached out there in that community. He wanted no one to sit there and say, Paul's doing it because it's just for personal gain. And the believers understood. They weren't doing it for personal gain. It wasn't to get their name recognition up. It wasn't to be able to give them a certain lifestyle. Or because they couldn't keep a job because they were lazy, they'll go, we'll go become a pastor. And somehow think that's going to be easy work. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> You're, you're, that's what it means to be a pastor and elders to serve others. <laughs> you don't get, you're not to be served. And so many times in many churches, the pastors expect the people to serve them like they're somehow holier than thou. That's not scriptural. Look at Paul in their lives. Look at any of them. That is not, but that's what's happening in the church world today. But he says, to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. He says, we're following Christ. You can follow us because we're not going to take you down paths that are, are going against the scripture. Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So we see in the scriptures how we're to correct people who have a mindset that goes contrary to the word of God. We're supposed to do it in a gentle way, in a way so that helps them to understand, to come back. Because why? You and I could be tempted as well. We could be possibly prone to it if we're not put, keep our guard up. So Paul's attitude in the ministry here was to prove himself to be a mature Christian leader. As a, a true Christian mature leader, he is living out his life in a way that is in line with the scripture. He's not a selfish leader. He's not selfishly using people to build up their support and they're always claiming their rights. I'm the pastor, I have a right I'm a pastor, you must do. You must go take care of this for me. You must give me this, and I want this, and you're going to do this for me. No, that's not where in the scripture, and Paul says, I, a truly dedicated leader, a truly dedicated spiritual leader will 
use his rights not to build himself up, but to build others up, to help others to rise up, to get out of the situations that their sinful lives had destroyed their lives. And the pastors are to help you, encourage you, to build you up. That's what pastors are doing. To lay aside his rights and privileges for the sake of others. That's what Paul was doing, and that's what a Christian leader is to do. Paul's readers knew Paul and associates did not take any support from any of this new church. Instead, they set the example. They set the example of meeting their own needs and helping others to meet the needs of others. 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. That's how we're to live. Because the greatest influence, the greatest influence any leader can have is to live a godly life and a sacrificial life for others. And may we, may we, by the grace of God, be able to do that on a daily basis. Then we see in Paul in verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Again, he taught it when he was with them. He tried to reemphasize it in his letters here. This is, if anyone who's not willing to do, to provide for food for his own table, he shall not eat. Don't be enabling these people to continue to do what they're doing, is what he's saying. Don't enable them. It's part of the the correction, the discipline that has to be so they understand. They're going to get hungry enough. They're going to go out there and start working to raise and and get, get food. Paul simply says that if anyone will not work instead of cannot work, there's another situation where you cannot work. Understandable. You lost your job. You cannot work. You're trying to find another job. That is not what Paul's talking about here. You know that. You physically got hurt, you got surgeries, you can't work, you can't go out and do that. That is not what Paul's talking about here. So don't let the enemy get in your head and think of something differently. He's saying you have the ability to work, but you're willing not. You should not be able to eat because you're not willing to do what it takes to go do it. And since God is able to provide through our needs in any manner imaginable, God can miraculously provide for your needs. But notice in the scriptures, he uses work to do that provision. Some of these highly spiritual people says, I'll sit at home and just pray and pray that God will put on someone's heart to bring food to my table every day. And then they get discontented because people are not being obedient because they're supposed to be bringing me food every day. No, God uses work. It's God's character, is it not? God is always busy at work. That should be our same godly character in our life. We should be busy at work. And how many times in this society do we find ourselves being told, you should just pamper yourself and relax and do nothing? You need, to, you need to get control of your time because you need to have your time. I mean, all subtleness. I'm not saying you can't have... You, but may that downtime be in the word and in prayer. Not pamper. 
And again, I know I probably get some emails on this one, but but that's okay. I'm just find the balance there. Just find the balance where your heart is. That's really the thing I want to make sure you you hear me say. Is the Lord telling you get up off the couch, get away from the the gaming, get away from the TV, and get to work, man. Do what God's calling you to do. Go serve. Go go out and help others. And, and take care of your family and, and for your basic, basic needs. Why? Because we know here in verse 11, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. So Paul's here having to give a little bit of some encouragement here, but again, clearly telling them this is not optional, people. In the church body, if there's some disorderly people causing division because they have too much time on their hands, they're not going to sit there quietly. They're going to start being busybodies within the church, and they're going to start talking and gossiping and doing all kinds of things because they got way too much time on their hands. They're not about God's business. They're going to be open to allowing Satan to then put some critical spirit in them and start being critically spirited and busybodies and getting in everyone's business. And then what we find is you'll start seeing, well, look at them over there. And they start envying and jealousy because of others being God's blessing other people in the provisions. And they say, well, they should be giving some of that up to me. Who said that? And they'll pull out scriptures to say that because the church is supposed to do it. I'm, I'm hurting here and they're supposed to give it up. They got way too much. Then envy and jealousy and all these things start popping in your head. You, you, people, Paul's saying here, you need, they need to do what? Verse 12, they need to get back to work, get a job, and eat their own bread. And then you're too busy to be busybodies and up into everyone else's business. But then he says at the very end, verse 13, but let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters, those who are working, those who are following the ways of God, they're living their life for God, they're out there working hard, providing for the families, providing for themselves and for others of, of the abundance that God gives them, they give to other people in need as God leads. Don't get weary in doing the good that you're doing. Because at some point, as you continue to work and labor for the others in the church because they're not willing to labor and do the work in the church. They're watching everyone else do the work, the physical work, or the material needs and, and foods provided for those who are, are hungry and the widows are coming in, as we see in the scriptures, and, and they're waiting tables and they're feeding the kids. There's only a few people doing it, and the majority is just sitting back watching it being provided for. And you can get weary with that. Because you feel like you're the only one working. The only one giving. The only one serving. The only one sacrificing. But let me encourage you, those that I'm speaking to you right now. God sees all things. He knows all things. He, as Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good for the Lord. He will provide and he will strengthen, and he will encourage, and you will be greatly rewarded for those 
that service to the Lord that you're doing, all that good that God is asking you to do. Let me deal with those who are not doing it according to the way God wants to deal with it. But for you, you just continue to do it. Paul's saying how God is saying we're going to deal with this is that we're going to sit there and take the, these idleness that's going on in people's lives, the desire not to do something for the Lord, like work and to do and serve, and, 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 and bring about harm to, to those who are doing it by getting, being busybodies and getting into their business and buying, you know, kind of comparing themselves and all kinds of stuff. But no, to those who are busybodies, Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Are you, are you got your life in line with what the scripture is saying? There's, there's a sense that you think you don't have to work because the Lord's returning. No, continue to work and continue to do it. And then when you're twinkling of an eye and, and snatched out of here, then you won't, it won't even, you won't even know the transition. It'll just be so quick. Just be about what God's called you to do in the scriptures because he has says we must work. Now, with the authority here, Paul says, again, through our Lord Jesus Christ, he commands that these busybodies get a job, get to work. But how are they to get to work? Work, so you're just quietly just working hard, and you're just so quiet and just so diligent in what God's called you to do. Just be quiet and then eat your own bread because God is going to provide through that job for you, and then you won't be in other people's Bodies. But in the early church, to, to, to be provided for was truly for those who were in need. That's what in the, in the early days, the church would provide. The community would help. Remember in the scriptures, if those who were poor, they would be able to glean from the outside of all the, of the fields. That's, that was their, um, what's, what do we call it today? The... the um, uh, I want to say welfare. There might be another term for it. But how for a community to provide for someone who's not able to work. We'll call it welfare at this point. But that's, that was the Jewish welfare system. Is that people had the ability to go out and glean from the fields to be able to provide for their families. But they had to go do the work. They had people to go do it for them. They weren't just freely given, right? So what we find here is that in the early church... They were to be able to provide truly for these people who are truly in need because they couldn't provide for themselves. But it was after putting them to work for the church. Go back and read 1 Timothy 5, verses, I think, 3 through 16. So when you come here, I'll do the same thing because that's what the scripture says. You come in and says, I, need, I have need. I said, okay, we'll, we'll help you. But let's, how, how can you help the church? We'll put you to work in the church and, and do something or make whatever it is that possibly you can serve within the church. I'm not going to freely just give you something. I will do that in regards to if you're truly in need. But if you're not truly in need, let's get you to do something for the church and then let's go help you find a job and train you up and, and teach you, do a resume for you and, and teach you how to go do interview skills and we'll teach you to how to do that. We'll let the body of Christ know that you have a job need and we'll point you to people who are in the body of Christ who may know someone who knows someone who has a job. You just have to let us know because we're going to help you. 
from a short perspective term, but we're going to help you get back up on your feet and to be able to move forward and help you so that you are not starving in any form or fashion or homeless or those kinds of things. But you have to be willing. <laughs> be willing until you're obviously able as well. But that's how they did it. They made sure you're working within the church, and then from the church you were able to go out and be able to provide and, and go out there and to serve as, call, as, as the Lord leads. But Paul's telling them, I'm telling you, I'm giving you a commandment. You cannot be encouraging these people to be lazy. You cannot be enabling them to continue to do uh, the, down the path that they're doing because it's not good for you or the body. Remember, it started back in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden and said to him to tend and keep it. Verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person. I love that term, note that person. And do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonished him as a brother. So, Paul say here, and is finishing his thoughts here in regards to what he started back, I think in verse 6 there, in chapter 3, he's elaborating of how they're to do church discipline with someone who is not willing uh, to work. He's, he made it very clear here. You're supposed to note the behavior of that person, note the fact that this person could work and the person could go out and, and, and earn money to be able to provide for him and his family, but not willing. Note that person and do not keep company with that person. It means you're not fellowshipping. There's different things. Some people say, you know, you have acquaintances, right? They're acquaintances. They're people you kind of know of, but they're just acquaintances. I just know someone from, through, through someone else. And then there's some of their family, of course, that's a relationship. And there's friendship. There's some relation, there's friendliness there. Maybe you have a friendship in regards to a coworker kind of an environment. But then there's fellowship. And you're not to just fellowship with just anybody. That's where you're sharing your heart <laughs> and you're having meals together, especially in those times. But here, notice what he says here. This is take note of this. Do not keep company with them that they may be ashamed. They'll realize. Uh oh, I'm feeling pretty, I'm a little more isolated here. I, I sense people don't really want to spend time with me here because I, I must be, must be, maybe it's because I keep asking for money. <laughs> I wonder why they don't want me around because I keep asking them for money or I keep asking for food or ask them to keep giving me something of theirs. Maybe that might be it. I feel a little ashamed that every time I see them, I'm always asking for money. I'm always asking for stuff. Where to withdraw means to, to just not keep company for the purpose of causing this person to recognize what they're doing is not good, it's not right. But don't go overboard, Paul says, and flip the pendulum swing over here and make that brother or that sister an enemy. There's a tendency, it's like, they're taking advantage of me. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't like this person. No, they're not an enemy. Come alongside with gentleness and try to have them understand why you're having to... I'm just going to step back from this. Why, why aren't you inviting me over to the house anymore? Because your attitude is not right. 
It's not good. Why aren't they invited? Just check your heart. Are you a person of giving or are you a person of take, take, take? Are you a demanding person of want things the way you want and you want to know everything? Or are you a someone who is just willing to, 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 by faith, trust in God's in control? Because it's going to cause division. It's only a matter of time. And that's why Paul's saying you must warn them, admonish them, warn them. Brother, you're not on the right path. You're taking and doing the wrong way. This is what God's word says. Please, please, I urge you. What can I do to help you? What can I do to, to reconcile this? What can I do to point you to someone else? If you're not going to listen to me because you just don't want to listen to me anymore, you're not teachable anymore, who will you listen to that is godly that's going to share the word of God with you? Because you're, what you're on is going to cause more and more problems within the church if you don't correct. There's three different or various types of church discipline. I want to do this real quick because I, I get this question asked a lot. The first one we're talking about in this situation is a personal differences between Christians. Believe it or not, people are different. They have different viewpoints. They see the same thing in different ways. Ask a married couple how many times that happens. But also in brothers and sisters, they see things different. That is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But as long as you don't cause it to division. Go back to Matthew 18, 15 through 18, or Philippians 4, 1 through 3. But if a brother or sister sins against me deliberately or unknowingly, I should go to that person privately and seek to get the matter settled. Privately. And if only if the person refuses to settle, refuses to change, then I can bring someone in to help to try to mediate this as another brother or sister involved with this. And, but, but the problem with this is that these things happen. Immediately people do not go to the person privately. They'll go to the pastor or anyone else who is like-minded with her or him in that circles and go to the little click kind of, usually the click, and start sh sharing all the challenges you're having with the other person. And we have to repent of that. We have to change that. That we should not allow that to happen. Biblically, we're to go there and do it and then bring someone else in. If that person is so stubborn, they're not willing to, to recognize it. It's more important to be in unity and love than it is to get your own way. And that's the two big mistakes. They'll go to the pastor, they'll go to others, and they'll cause problems. And then that leads to an argument because they're wanting their way to be done and see it their way. And, and they start trying to end up sinning against another brother. The second one is a doctrinal error that requires discipline, church discipline. First, determine why the person is teaching wrongly from the scripture. If you hear something that's not right, find out why they're teaching that wrong doctrine. Maybe it's because they're just ignorant. They're just new. They don't know any better. They heard a teaching and they thought it sounded great. 
or the fact that you just didn't have the Bible knowledge to understand where to go look to check on that, then come alongside lovingly and help them understand what the scripture says. I know you really love this book by her, but she is a false teacher. I'm sorry it doesn't, you don't like it because you really have bonded emotionally with this woman for some reason on, on TV. You don't even know her, but and you read her books, but it's false teaching, please. I lovingly ask you to take everything she says, go to the scriptures, and I'm happy to help you with that. See what I'm saying? But if they're fine, when you go to this person and, and, and they say, no, I believe this is true. I, I think you're wrong. Well, then I always ask a the question, then why are you at this church? If you don't believe Jesus is the son of God, why are you coming to the church? If you don't believe there's a rapture going to happen, then why are you coming to this church? But let me tell you what the truth is because I want you to encourage you to continue because I want to help you understand the scriptures. Because you've been deceived. But this, in, this, in this doctrinal error, in this case, we're supposed to patiently teach him the truth. We see that in 2 Timothy 2, verses 23 through 26. Patiently teaching him. That's why I say, keep showing up. I'm not asking you if you have different views at this point. I'm asking you to continue to show up and listen because I want you to hear the scriptures. I know the Holy Spirit will show you the scriptures so that you can correct and change to what the word says. And if he persists, or if she persists, rebuke him or her. We see that in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. You must call him out on it. Paul did that to Peter. <laughs> so the great Peter, man. Paul had to correct Peter. He rebuked him. You see that in Galatians 2.11. But if the error continues and they're not willing to change him, we know in Romans chapter 16, verses 17, 18, we are to avoid that person. Yes, stop reading their books. Stop watching them on Facebook. Stop hanging out with them and listening to them. Separate yourself from them, 2 Timothy 2.18. But if you find you're with a brother or sister and sin has overtaken them, Galatians 6, 1 through 3, then be the spiritual mature one and seek to restore him or her with gentleness and love. It's like if someone has broken their leg, you don't sit there and well, that's your problem. You shouldn't have been doing those things. That's, 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 that's one way the Lord's going to correct you. No, you come alongside and you help them reset the leg and tenderness because it, it hurts a lot. So reset the leg, help them to get restored and healed from that problem. Do not quickly pass judgment on a believer don't quickly judge and bring all kinds of accusations and stuff because all that's going to do is rip and cause problems in that person's life and cause damage for years to come. How many times have I seen people come into this church and I'll ask them, where did you come from? What fellowship? I haven't fellowshiped in 30 years, 20 years. In some cases, we've had it longer. And I always ask, How? Because this church did this. This church 
leadership did this or did this or did this to me. And it just ripped it, that person, so badly that they say, I cannot go to fellowship anymore. I will not attend a church. And it grieves me every single time I hear this story because it should be a loving family. Teaching and using the truth. But if someone is a troublemaker... Someone who's a divisive person who is trying to use the fellowship, the body of believers to advance themselves, to get ahead, to just benefit themselves. One who is very proud in their attitude and causing division and causing cliques. And you can see those cliques forming stuff. It doesn't happen in this church. And I am thankful that God doesn't allow that to happen in this body. And I am very thankful every single time I ponder on this because those things, those cliques, those divisions within the body of Christ should not happen. They should not happen. Titus 3.10, we must deal with that. And lastly here, moral immorality. 1 Corinthians 5, the church must mourn over a sinner who seeks to bring him to, bring him to repentance over open sexual immorality in their lives. We must deal with it. And if they refuse to change... We're going to live together regardless of what you tell me, Pastor. Okay. Then I need to, I need to ask you to leave the church. You're, you're saying you're believers, but you're unwilling to, to repent and change. you got to leave. Well, I'm still going to associate with everybody in the church because I built friendships here. Well, the, the scripture says the whole body has to say, I'm sorry, we're not fellowshipping with you because you're an open sin and unrepentant heart as a believer and that cannot happen. As much as it grieves us because we love you, you're in the fellowship, we love you like a brother or sister, but you're not acting like a brother or sister. You're in carnality and it's only a matter of time that's going to cause a problem within the body. I'm sorry. If you're ready to repent, we'll forgive you and we'll bring you back into the fellowship. But that's how it is. That's how we have to deal with it. It's important we do that. And let's finish up here. He concludes the letter here in verses 16 through 18. And he brings a conclusion here. And then we'll do communion. I know we're over time, but I'm, this is so important for us to know. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He says three blessings to the people here at the very end of his letter. It's all blessing to the people that he's writing to. He loves these people back in Thessalonica. He wants them to do what is right according to the ways of God. He's being very gentle here, but very direct his way, right? I command you. Those are very, very, very authoritative kind of conversations here. But he says, now that the Lord of peace Paul's blessing of peace, always in every way I want you to be blessed. That's what his heart is with, his, with the people there. He wanted them to experience the, the Lord of peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, my brothers and sisters. Then he, we see in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding with guard, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. There can be unity in God's peace. Not only did he 
have a blessing of the Lord's peace upon them. He says, but the Lord be with you, with you all. It's a, it's a, it's a very customary closure of Paul's letters here. Most of his letters have this, this, this closure of the Lord be with you. I think it's in verse 5, I love the term, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. What an incredible statement right there. I pray that for you as well, but also that the Lord be with you all. Why? Because Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said himself in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then finally, the third blessing is that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God's grace was the beginning of this letter and at the end of this letter. It's the beginning of a Christian life and it's the end of the Christian life. It is about the grace of God, not the law. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for the grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not not that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest anyone should boast romans 3 23 and 24 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus it's his grace and we must remember my brothers and sisters that God's grace enables you and I to live a godly life. Let me say that again. It is by God's grace he enables you and I to live a godly life now, waiting for his return to get us. And we must rely upon that. Why? 2 Timothy 2.1 You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Where do you need that strength? Waiting for the God's return? In his grace. That relationship with Jesus. Through him we have received grace, Romans 1.5. Hebrews 12, verse 28. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And he closes this letter with what? Amen. Let it be so.